Well, welcome. Today is our sixth class out of the series of 12 classes. So after this evening's class, we're officially halfway through. I hope you understand that under these principles that our founding fathers gave us, we literally took up a 5,000 year leap within 200 years of the constitution being written. We were putting a man on the moon. We went from the ox and the cart and the spinning wheel to putting a man on the moon so you know i always say these principles if you will memorize them they will become your best friends they will rise up in your hour of need when you're conversing and the conversation is getting heated or it's getting emotional and if you will share a principle or two if it will come out of your mouth it will change the tone of the conversation and give you added strength and authority because principle is what al universal it's universal <laughs> It transcends party um, politics. Yes, yes. If you can speak on principle, and that's really why the word of God is so powerful too. So um, anyways, one week from today will be Thanksgiving. So there will be no class next week. I love this time of year. Let's see the first slide out. We're going to be um, discussing principles 11, 12, and 13 uh, tonight. I hope you have a chance to study just like go into Bible study. If you read the assignment before you get there, you'll get more out of class. So if you'll read the principles before you have the class, you'll, your brain will be ready uh, to engage a little bit. Remember the, the student edition, which I really like, the key is in the back. So just go through and have a of study 14, 15, and 16 next week because we won't have class. But last year, um, actually, we have a little tradition in our home that we read. Did you know that there's a George Washington put forth a Thanksgiving proclamation just a few months after he was put in as the president in 1789? He put forth, let's see the next slide. He put forth a proclamation called the Thanksgiving. How do you get rid of that top line? Do we? The no. Thanksgiving proclamation. And my little daughter did some of my PowerPoints and they're so beautiful. It's only three paragraphs. I would recommend printing this Thanksgiving proclamation, 1789 Thanksgiving proclamation off and reading it at the uh, dinner table on Thanksgiving where George Washington uh, made November 26th a day of Thanksgiving. And this is what he wanted the nation to, uh, you know, in prayer, thank God for. Whereas it is the duty, this is George Washington now, of all nations to acknowledge the providence of all of the almighty God to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits and humbly to implore his protection and favor. Whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committees requested me to recommend to the people of the United States, a day of public Thanksgiving and prayer to, to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts, the many signal favors of almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peacefully to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th of November, next to be devoted by the people of these states to the, let's see, I can't quite see that, to the great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to this becoming a nation for the signal and manifold mercies 
and the favorable interpositions of his providence, which we experienced in the course and conclusion of the late war, for the great degree of tranquility, union, and plenty, which we have since enjoyed for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been enabled to establish constitutions of government for our safety and happiness, and particularly our national one now lately instituted for the civil and religious liberty with which we are blessed and the means we have of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge and in general for all the great and various favors which he hath been pleased to confer upon us. And lastly, lastly, and also that we may unite in the most humble offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually to render our national government a blessing to all people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed to protect and guide us all, all sovereign and nations, especially such who have shown us kindness, and to bless them with good government, peace, and concord to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue and increase of science among them and us, and generally to grant unto all mankind such a temporal degree of prosperity is what he says. So uh, last year at Thanksgiving, I had a, a group of women over and I, my oldest daughter there at the end of the table, she read uh, the Thanksgiving proclamation from George Washington and George it, it, and he's with us tonight too. He's is behind me, but the bust of George Washington. I just assume we invited George to our lunch where we read the proclamation. But do you understand that he basically was imploring the country to thank God for his care during the war and helping them to achieve independence and establishing this constitutional government? And I even liked how he asked that we pray for the nations, especially that showed kindness to us, but to all mankind that we would practice true religion and uh, virtue and that we would be prosperous. Now, this is the kind of leader, and that's probably why we did so well. Our, our founding was so strong because we had this kind of a leader who knew that the protection and blessings came from God and that we needed to acknowledge these blessings and to make it a day of thanksgiving and prayer. So print this off. Maybe the link will be in the chat. And um, and so let's see the next slide. So last year we went to actually pill. Plymouth, Massachusetts. We took most of our kids. So put it on your bucket list. If you've never been to Plymouth, they have a big celebration. It's open uh, 20, uh, I, I think it's open all year long, but certainly at the Thanksgiving time, they have a big parade, but we we missed the parade, but we went to the Plymouth Colony and and they have reenactors and, and the girls, you know, got to march with the crew. Let's see the next slide, sweetie. And um, they have the Wampanoag Indians along with the, the little Plymouth village. Interesting, last year, the Indians were on strike and we were reminded we don't call them Indians anymore. They're the Native Americans. So no one was there at, at these little sites talking <laughs> except park rangers, which I thought was interesting. And then let's see the next slide. And then here's just, there's the, the little village kind of along the inlet water there where they had landed the pilgrims in um, 1620 and then let's see 
and it was really fun. The reenactors were very personable and and friendly, kind of like Colonial Williamsburg is, and 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 the kids could see. I think that was on the boat of the Mayflower. Let's see the next slide. And they did have the big Mayflower there mm -hmm. in the in, that they had recreated, and so we got to go up into the Mayflower and see. It was about a hundred people that came across the shores in 1620. You've heard me talk about the Mayflower mothers. Most of the mothers died that first year. So, oh. but none of their children died. And that was, you know, they knew that they would give their lives so these children could get off to a good start here in the new world. And then let's see the next slide. Um, if I could recommend highly one thing uh, in Plymouth is this Jenny Museum. Mm -hmm. And what did you like? And that's little Leo. He dresses up as a pilgrim. He, he almost went around for three hours. He told us the true real story. Right. Of the he talks, talks about the covenant and he actually invokes yeah. religion in his tour, which which the secular tours don't do. No, they don't. Although I was surprised at Plymouth, they did they did actually acknowledge God because yeah, those did. pilgrims, that's the main yeah. reason they came they had, here. Well they and they had to read an original document. Yeah, they, they they had to read an original document that had God all over it. And so they had to acknowledge that that. So um uh, Leo it owns the Jenny Museum with his wife, Nancy, and you will get the most fabulous tour. And it was very inexpensive. It was really a beautiful day there in Plymouth. I think it's interesting. Uh, we On November 28th, we have a Native American Heritage Day, a, a special shout out. It used to be called the American Indian Day, but somehow people know that. found that to be offensive. George Herbert Bush in 1990 uh, put forth the American Indian Day, but it has since been changed to the Native American Heritage Day mm -hmm. about four days after Thanksgiving on November 28th. So let's see the next slide. So, you know, I think it's really important um, to understand the the story of the pilgrims because, you know, there has been a spin on it. Modern historians kind of like they have uh, defamed Christopher Columbus's name. I really like this book by Timothy Ballard. He talks about Christopher Columbus, but he tells the story of the pilgrims. And Timothy Ballard is the one who came out with the movie recently, The Sound of Freedom, uh, Sex Trafficking. And he's written several good books. Mm -hmm. And so I would really recommend this one. And also for years, let's see the next slide, start to collect uh, books um, about Thanksgiving because your kids and grandkids are going to start to kind of hear a, a twisted version of the relationship between the Native Americans and the pilgrims in the first couple of years that was is just not correct. So Steve Dace, does he mm -hmm. is he have a, a show he has on, a podcast? Yeah, yeah. podcast he's on, on the, he's on the blaze. Yeah. yeah. So this book, Why Thanksgiving, is really good, good illustrations. It just came out last year. So I would I would kind of recommend that. But these are I just collected these little uh, books through the years. But you need to be reading these stories to your grandchildren and to your children because otherwise they're going they're going to start to kind of like they look at the founding fathers with the negative slant or negative light. They're starting to, in the school systems, uh, twisting this uh, pilgrim experience coming here and, and, you know, what they, what they did to the Indians. And, and, you know, ultimately, uh, as you learn that the miracle story of Squanto, an Indian that spoke beautiful English, I mean, you, you will understand how that was completely by the hand of God, that Squanto was really, the first ones to greet them almost Samoset and Squanto and taught them how to plan and them. Yeah, in fact when they were coming across they were actually headed towards New York their yeah. coordinates were headed towards New York but they the coordinates of the storm got changed and the Lord 
pointed them to Plymouth where there was already cleared land yeah. and friendly Indians to greet them. Yeah, because who's to say if they would have been able to survive if they New had York, right. made it to, yeah. So there, that beautiful story of Squanto is, is a favorite one that my kids love. So let's see the next slide, honey. So if you don't know the real story and the real history, your kids and your grandkids won't know. And so same with these principles. If you don't really understand the principles upon which this nation was founded, that your children probably are not going to be taught wow. them and, and we will lose these principles. So the principles that we talked about last week that all men are endowed by their creator with certain God-given rights. And these are the rights that God gave us so that we can keep his commandments mm -hmm. and that to protect those rights, God has revealed a code of divine law in Blackstone. Um, the thinker that they studied said divine law is holy writ is scripture and that the, the God-given right to govern is vested in the sovereign authority of the whole people, not that divine uh, right of kings that really throughout history. You taught this last week? Yeah, how, right. How did it go? Uh, did it go? Did not it go? as well as if you had okay. been with me, mm -hmm. but you know that they knew that the, these kings were to the founding fathers knew, and John Locke is even going to say this, that that kings, if they're going to rule, they rule by the consent of the governed. All right. And not some divine right of God to be their king. And so the founders, let's see the next slide, knew that, look, the majority of the people could alter because of this, that that it was the whole the voice of the whole people were to determine what kind of government and how they should be ruled. That they knew, principle 11, that the majority of the people, if, if they had a leader that wasn't in keeping with what the the body of the majority of the people you know thought was right that they had the right to alter or abolish that government that had become tyrannical so the founders knew this all too well with their experience from the you know kingly autocratic government of of king george and they had experienced it firsthand at the injuries that they had suffered for it says here in the book for over 13 years under their english constitution so Jefferson, when he wrote the Declaration of Independence, you know, he put it very clear. Let's see that next. Prudence indeed will dictate, he said, this is in the Declaration, that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. This is Thomas Jefferson now. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces the design to reduce them under absolute despotism, despotism is a, like a cruel, oppressive power, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Now, they uh, had gotten this idea from, from those that had come before them. John Locke, remember, who was a philosopher and he was an enlightenment thinker. Let's see the next slide. He was born uh, in 1632. So he lived uh, about 100 years before the founders. But they studied uh, Locke's classical um, essay concerning civil governments. We, we don't, let's go back to the picture of John Locke. And so he he basically said the same thing that, you know, men enter into society for the preservation of their properties. Yeah, back to the mm -hmm. picture of John Locke. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we must have. <laughs> okay. 
uh, let's just go back. Let's just go back to me then. Let's just okay. let's go back to us. Right. So he he basically said, and this is probably where Thomas Jefferson got this idea from. We don't know. Okay. Yeah, post screen us maybe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he said, look, if if the governments are going to um, endeavor to take away your property rights or to reduce, you know, the citizens into slavery under their arbitrary power. He said, then the people are absolved from obedience to that government. And when these legislative groups try to transgress the fundamental law uh, rule of society uh, by taking away the lives and the liberty and the estates of the people, the government is now in breach of trust and they have forfeited the power that the people had originally put into their hands. Now, John Locke said this in, you know, in the 1600s. And so no doubt our founders you know, read his essays on uh, English law. And so they understood that the power to change the government rests in the majority of the people. Okay, so the majority can alter or abolish not there wasn't a right in a minority. So a minority can't uh, expect the government to a be small changed. Group of people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not when I say minority. Yeah, you? I thought you were talking about me. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not talking about you. <laughs> but John Locke pointed out that uh, if the majority of people, you know, feel uh, oppressed and that there is mischief and oppression that is going on, that they can indeed rise up and uh, rise up and push back. And they are persuaded in their consciences that their laws and with them, their estates, liberties, and lives are in danger and perhaps their religion too. This is John Locke. How they will be hindered from resisting a legal force used against them, I cannot tell. But he's saying they should have every right when the governments are in breach of that trust that the people had put in their hands. And so I kind of think this is the premise upon which January 6th came to be. That Remember, did you ever see that John, uh, Dinesh D'Souza Mule 2000 where he yeah. talked about the, uh, the voting? Yeah. yeah, the election oh, did fraud. See. Did you see it? I didn't yeah. see it. I, I, I think I saw it. It was a documentary. Did anyone see that? Where the premise was that, you know, this wasn't just a small minority of people that were um, dissatisfied. There with thousands of people. There, there. Um, I think there. They said there was close to a million there. Oh that, really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and Al and I were like maybe seven hundred. We were, we were, we were there. And we did we go there to want to revolt and overthrow no, the government? You, you went in the capital, and I went. I took the kids <laughs> home. No, no, we did not. We did not go planning a, a, an insurrection. No, she didn't go in. She didn't go in. No, she did not go in. <laughs> we have friends who the you know the government has knocked on their doors because they were there. But what we did do were we were exercising our First Amendment to you know peacefully petition the government because we knew mischief and oppression, like John Locke talks about in the book. That quote is in the book, had occurred. And so, I mean, I don't know about you, but I was saying I wanted to lend my voice to the voice of the people in saying that we felt, you know, put mm -hmm. our elected officials on notice that mm -hmm. there had been oppression. You were there with Kimberly. And Rod, yes. You were, you were sitting up, you were actually in by the White House. Yeah, yeah. I, I could have maybe touched out and reached and touched <laughs> President Trump. But 
I mean, we were we were both there and we knew when we walked down Pennsylvania Avenue and it was grandmas and moms and strollers that when we got to the Capitol, something very strange had happened. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden there were men that had riot gear and riot sticks and they were not uh, at the White House. So mm -hmm. I, I we, that's when you had said to me, these, first of all, these are not peaceful protesters, something bad's going to happen. So that's mm -hmm. when you said we had to. Al said we had to leave. But what, I, what I'm saying here is that when the majority of the people, and I would dare say maybe 50% of the country thought something mischievous had happened with those elections, they were, they were exercising their right, putting our elected officials on notice that we thought something was wrong. And I do think that those people that broke into the Capitol were plants to to. Okay, you're getting you know. political. Okay, now I am I am getting political, but I'm I'm just trying to liken it to a, mm -hmm. like a practical application of what John Locke and uh, okay. you know Thomas Jefferson are saying. So, in other words, and and also it it says the same thing in the Virginia Declaration of Rights that was put forth in 1776 as well that you know the people can rise up a majority of the community has an, 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 an indubitable an inalienable an indefensible right to reform or alter or abolish uh, uh things that are not conducive to the public good and so the question is well what is then if we're going to alter and abolish a government what is the best form of government to preserve the liberty and you know that's what our founding fathers were thinking about when they declared their independence from king george in mm -hmm. 1776 so i'll take it away is it's going to cover is it my turn finally you get the rest good of class Al is going to take good heavens <laughs> Al forgot he has the rest of class he's going <laughs> to cover principle 12 and 13. All right. Okay. Let's Take get it to away, this. All baby. right. So the 12th principle, the United States of America, don't move over there. Move quite this way. No, because I feel like we're shall be, shall be a republic. And so the, okay. read, read that part there. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. Republic. Republic's a key word. So we, today, we use that word democracy and republic interchangeably. And it used to be when people said democracy, they really meant a constitutional republic. But as we get into the lesson today, you'll find out that that word democracy has some insidiousness associated with this. But And the founders knew this, but they, they were actually geniuses because they knew the difference between a republic and democracy. Let's, so let's talk about what those are. So democracy, the majority, the majority rules. Some would call it a mob, mobocracy. And a democracy requires the full participation. So we actually, as the kids got older, we ran kind of more of a, a democracy where the majority, like we're, we're arguing right now over on whether on Christmas Eve, we all go to the National Cathedral for Christmas. Half the family doesn't want to go, midnight mass, and the other half doesn't want to go. So we may have one of the dogs break the tie, but <laughs> it, the democracy means that it's, it's 50 plus one. And as you see in this photo here, that's that's Greece, the 30 tyrants of Greece. And a democracy works when there's a small number of people, but when it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, like in our country, it, it doesn't work. And it has never worked. A democracy does not work unless you've got a small number of people. So you've got a democracy. America's, let me go ahead and put these slides up. So it's based, so Republic is based on the rule of, of law. 
which principle was that you taught last week that talks about the rule of law? Was it was it nine or ten? Uh, ten. Nine or what's, what? Can you repeat it? Uh, you don't have it memorized. I'm always talking about. Yes, I can. Just okay. All right. So rule of law. Verse is. Actually, I didn't talk that God-given yeah. right to govern is okay. actually the sovereign authority of the whole people. Oh, that's we right. haven't Maybe done the not. rule of law. That's a okay. that's a, a All right. So it's based. So when we talk about the rule of law, we're talking about God's law. So a republic is based on God's law, and a democracy is based on feelings. So America's immutable principles of right and wrong were not based on this rapidly fluctuating feelings and emotions of the people but rather on the principles that do not change. So in a, in a republic, murder will always be a crime because it's based in God's law. In a democracy, if the majority of the people feel like murder is okay, they can change it. And have you noticed today, we, are, we have become a society of feelings. It's don't say something to hurt that person's feelings. Or I feel like I'm going to be this one day, or I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to be that the other day. And you have to respect that, or you are this, 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 and this. And so that's why facts, we tell our kids this, even when they were little, facts don't care about your feelings. And so you've got a republic, which is based on a rule of law, and a democracy was based on feelings. Now, another book that you want to add to your library, David Barton, unbelievable. And he's written this book called The Original, Int Original Intent of the Founders. And this quote is in there. A republic is the highest form of government devised by man, but it, is all, it also requires the greatest amount of human care and maintenance. Why, why would that be, Julian? Why would, it, why would a republic, because it's based on self government, representative government. That's why we talked about those first 10 principles, those first four, where we've got God's law and the people need to be virtuous. That's why religion is such an important part of making a republic survive. So if neglected, it can deteriorate into a variety of lesser forms, including a democracy, which we just talked about. That's a government based on feelings. And then you've got anarchy which is a system in which each person determines their own rules and standards then an oligarchy which it feels like we've got that today a government run by a small council or a group of elites it's why kind of, why do you think uh, people even politicians call america a democracy we, 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 i'm oh, glad you asked that question because okay. we're going to get into that <laughs> i'm glad you asked that question okay let's focus on the last bullet there jane madison would you read that please uh, the, the three this right here oh in a democracy the people meet and exercise the government in person in a republic they assemble and administer it by their representatives a democracy consequently must be confined to a small spot a republic may be extended over a large portion that's right so they knew the founders a representative government had to work because <clears throat> they knew that the people get busy they don't have time to go to Congress and go to all the hearings and read about the issues and read these 1,000 page bills. That's why they have a representative to go represent them who hopefully shares their values and shares their fear of God so that when they go represent them, you can count on them to always vote the right way because they're the ones that are spending the time 
going through the process. And that's why representative government is so important. So we may define a republic to be a government which derives all its powers directly or indirectly from the great body of the people, which Julian just highlighted, and that they hold office for pleasures during a pleasure for a limited period or doing good behavior. So those, those we're going to send you there, but we don't expect you to stay there forever. Nancy Pelosi, Bernie Sanders, Mitch McConnell, Jim Clyburn, Eddie Bernice Johnson. You're not supposed to stay there 40, 50 plus years. You're not entitled to that office. And you can stay there based on good behavior. That's why the, the 17th Amendment, which you can learn about when you take the Healing of America seminars, really things into some sort of some form of chaos because senators used to be selected by the state governments. And before the 17th Amendment, you would send your senator to Washington, D.C., you would direct that senator on how he or she should vote, and then they would come home on the weekends and take further instructions and then go back to D.C. And if they didn't, guess what? Good behavior, bad behavior, you're out. And so it's essential to such a government that it be derived from the great body of the society, not from an inconsiderable proportion or a favored class of it. The, the founders were so against elites and someone would have considered them elites because they were the best and the brightest and landowners and, and prosperous people, but they didn't even trust themselves. That's why they put this republic together. Okay, so how did, how did socialism transform into the word democracy? So back in 1905, the Intercollegiate Socialist Society, ISS, was formed in 1905. And they infiltrated 60 chapters that were formed on college campuses throughout the U.S. Changes. It starts with education. And if you want, everybody could put their phones on mute, that would be super, super helpful. But anyway, so you start with education. So these clubs began on college campuses. Let's go get the students. If, if the philosophy of the classroom is changed in one generation, it'll change the philosophy of government in the next. Socialism is, let's define what it is. It's government ownership or control of all the means of produ production and the means of distribution. So the government controls the farms, the factories, the natural resources, and then they also control the means of how do you get those goods to the people? Transportation, communication, instrument. And this organization, their slogan was production for use, not for profit. And they were called the Socialist Society. And this organization, attracted individuals from government, from the media, and from Hollywood. All the mediums that are very good at transferring data and information, the influencers. And so that's that's how you change a culture. And politics is downstream from culture. You wanna write that down? <laughs> okay, so socialism versus democracy. 1921, Lenin comes on the scene, violent Soviet Union revolution. So socialism, socialism becomes a bad word. So guess what they changed the ISS to? The League for Industrial Democracy. 
through the nationalization of all the means of production, having the government own the means of production and distribution, the nation's resources would become the property of all the people. And you'd have a few elites making the decisions for who was going to have and who was going to have not. So in response to that, in 1928, our military issued a manual, 1928, a citizenship manual that defines a democracy, government of the masses, authority derived through mass meetings or any other form of direct expression. Attitudes towards property with communistic involve negating property rights. These are all the attributes associated with the democracy. And this is in our own US manual. So today the military is teaching wokeness. Back then they taught the difference between a democracy and a republic. And that a democracy would result in, what's that word? Demagogism. Very good, very good. <laughs> what does that mean? A, a demagogue, canceling people. Mm. Anybody that you don't agree with, you cancel them. Is, is, is that is that going on today, maybe? Uh, maybe, possibly. Okay, so let's talk about what a republic is. Derived through the election of the people of public officials best fitted to represent them. Attitudes towards property is respect for laws and individual rights and a sensible economic procedure. Fixed principles, rule of law, fixed principles and established evidence with a strict regard for consequences, personal responsibility. Avoids the dangerous extreme of tyranny or mobocracy. We talked about it in our very first class. The two extremes that the founders wanted to avoid was tyranny on the left and anarchy on the right. The goal was to find a government right in the middle called people's law, where there's enough government to provide security for the people, but not too much to abuse them. And what are the results of a republic, Julene? Statesmanship, liberty, reason, justice, contentment, and progress. Mm -hmm. Isn't that amazing? All right, 13th principle, Lord Acton. All power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the 13th principle, a constitution should be structured to permanently protect the people from the human frailties of their rulers. This is an incredibly important principle because the founders knew human weakness. They knew that people love to control everybody below them, but then not take direction from anybody above them, including God. And that when you get a little bit of power, a little bit of power, then it becomes good to you and you want more and more power i mean it's you can see so so much of that today in our own government that's why they don't leave nobody leaves washington dc because this is the power center and that's what the founders were so afraid of is that power would be centralized in washington dc that it would go from we the people to washington dc and here's a beautiful statement by jefferson he says in questions of powers then let no more be heard of confidence in man, but bind him down from mischief by the chains of the Constitution. <laughs> bind him down from mischief by the chains. So that's what the government is all about. Yes, we need to know that there are seven articles 
and 27 amendments in the Constitution. We need to know those things. We need to know the different branches of government, executive, judiciary, legislative. We need to know these things. But the premise behind the Constitution is to protect the family, to put those checks and balances in place to have people have government distributed political power. And here's a letter that Jefferson wrote. He said, no, my friend, the way to have a good and safe government is not to trust it all to one, but to divide it among the many, distributing to everyone exactly the functions he is competent to. Let the national government be entrusted with the defense of the nation and its foreign and federal relations. The state governments with the civil rights, laws, police, administration of what concerns the state generally. The counties with the local concerns of the counties and each ward direct the interest within itself. What has destroyed liberty and the rights of man in every government which has ever existed under the sun? The generalizing and concentrating all cares and power into one body. That's the beauty of the constitution, distributing political power. So when we talk to people who they don't understand that. They think the Constitution was written by a bunch of farmers 250 years ago. It's not relative to the day. They don't really understand the structure of why it was created. We the people, separation of powers, checks and balances. The Constitution will never be obsolete. And, and this is right from the text in the 5,000 elite. And that is what the Constitution is all about. Providing freedom from abuse by those in authority. Anyone who says the American Constitution is obsolete just because social and economic conditions have changed does not understand the real genius of the Constitution. It was designed to control something which is not changed, it will not change, namely human nature. The Constitution, to anyone who's listening within the sound of my voice, is to protect the family from the runaway federal government. That's why the, the, the founders put in these checks and balances. That's why they had the senators chosen by the states so they could represent the states and protect the people. So the federal government would not get involved in education. The federal government would not infringe our rights to bear arms. The federal government would not get involved in workplace safety. The federal government would not get involved in welfare. That that would all be taken care of at the local level so that you wouldn't be abused by the federal bureaucracy which is 3,000 miles away. When I, I spoke to a class at the University, Utah Valley University, and it was, a, it was a group of students, and there was an old guy who was in the class who was going back to school. Kudos to him for that. He was the one, he, of all people, he was the one that said, hey, the, the Constitution was written by a bunch of farmers. Mm -hmm. It's not relevant to our day. So after I, after I finished raining blows upon his head, I pulled back and, and actually had a chance, to, and that was um, that was a joke, I didn't do that. But I had a chance to explain to him in front of the children, in front of the students, what the real premise was behind the constitution and a light went on, I'm like, oh, I get it, I get it. And so those principles actually will resonate whether you're a Democrat, Republican, black, white, bond or free. So when erosion occurs, act quickly. An example of erosion is COVID. We just went through that. When we see city councils and state legislators who are supposed to represent the people abdicate their authority to a governor or a mayor 
we're supposed to rise up and stop it. And, and Madison tried to warn us with that. He says, as soon as you see that camel's nose get under the tent, you've got to snuff it out. Because if you do not, it's, it's like a thief in the night. I believe there are more instances of the abridgment of the freedom of the people by gradual and silent encroachment of those powers. Every constitutional, unconstitutional action has usually been justified because it was for a good cause. How many times have we heard that? Every illegal transfer of power from one department to another has been excused as necessary. These are the little encroachments that, that are gradual and silent that James Madison is talking about here. Okay, Janine, I'm gonna go back to you now to wrap things up. Okay. Was that okay? Yeah, that right, was good. great, sweetheart. Oh, you're welcome, thank you. Thank you, thanks for, thanks for helping me teach this class. <laughs> okay, so I hope that you can see um, from what we talked about tonight that our founders knew that there would be a drift of uh, going towards feelings or towards trends or emotions of the day. And so they put in the rule of law to protect us from, you know, popular ideas and or philosophies at the time. And so, you know, I hope that you'll go back and review these three principles, 11, 12, and 13 over the next two days or so. And really, as you begin to memorize these principles, you'll want to go back. These chapters are not very big, but very long. But the thing I love about, you know, these principles are their history. In the 5,000-year leap, they're beautiful, the exact words from these earlier enlightened thinkers or ancient thinkers or our founding fathers with their very words, their quotes. And you can tell they were Cicero in 106 BC. They were inspired men. They were godly men. And um, this is their history. And really history is God's story. Through history, you can see how God has worked through, through man and through civilizations and through nations. And so, you know, I'd really encourage you to get your little, you've seen me now hold this little bookmark up with the principles on the back, begin to memorize. The key to memorization is repetition. And then the key to, um, so you memorize it through repeating it. And then the key to remembering it is to review it. So oftentimes I review these on the treadmill or when I'm out walking, I'll just tick mm -hmm. them off in my treadmill. In the in the past, we got oh, okay. right, right. now when I'm walking the dots. Right. I need one. That's why. That's why. <laughs> if you can direct me to it, that would be great. Would but, you like to? Yeah, I need a treadmill. Reinstitute re the treadmill yeah, at home. I need one. Well, when everyone is, you know, kind of doom and gloom, and it's easy to be, you know, last week's election results, and we're moving into the presidential and big election next year, and it seems like, you know, some of these issues with abortion are are even. We've got a military holding the flags of China when there's a visiting, somebody visiting yeah. from another country. What, when, when have we ever done that? Yeah. Where there's a, a Marine holding a Chinese flag. Not, not a good look in the, in the newspaper today. And so you're, you're, we're, it's going to, the climate of the country is going to get quite doom and gloom and contentious and divided, uh, you know, moving into this next 2024 election cycle. But if you have these principles, kind of like scripture, the word, if you have these principles um, on the tip of your tongue, you will always be able to provide solutions 
to the doom and gloom. And that will help anchor not only you, but anchor those that you're in conversation with that are just, you know, thinking that that, that things are beyond repair. And so let's see the um, anchored in hope. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I like to, I heard someone say recently, look, we don't just need to bring back the constitution. <laughs> uh, I mean, the restored constitution which we do but we need to bring back the god of that restored constitution that that same god who breathed uh, on our founding fathers we need him to breathe upon us and so we've got to study the word we've got to study god's prophecies because his his history is god's story and his prophecies found in holy writ divine law is what is the mold from which history will be poured prophecy is the mold by which history will be poured so we study prophecy and holy writ and when when you do that you can have all the confidence in the world that god will is a a god who keeps his promises he's a god that makes covenant with his children and when you enter into that kind of relationship that kind of covenantal relationship when he says he can heal our land, he will do it if we do our part. He didn't say a majority of people need to, to you know, follow him and turn to him, but there needs to be enough of us. And as we're doing that, we're looking to God, we're praying to God, and we're taking our children to God, and we're keeping that family close. And if you continue to study, you're 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 doing number three right now by showing up to these classes. You're studying constitutional point the constitution from the viewpoint of the founding fathers our founding fathers have said so many times that they felt these ideas were struck off by the hand of god that they felt the divine hand of providence when they were thomas jefferson certainly did when he mm-hmm. you know wrote the declaration of independence and four months uh, uh, that it took to write the constitution and then, you know, as you learn as you and as things that you're teaching, you'll just naturally share these things with your children and your grandchildren. And then as you're a praying person, as you get on your knees and you ask God, what can I do? What will be my part? Do I, what, do I need to make some changes in my home? Do I need to repair some relationships? Is there something I can do my children or grandchildren's school in the state legislature? And you ran for office mm-hmm. when, you know, we began to study these principles it was the impetus for you knowing you had to, when an opportunity came to, mm-hmm. to run for the state legislature and you serve there beautifully. But as you do this, as you do these things that will keep you anchored in hope moving forward, when things are looking a little discouraging, what you'll do is you'll become a light to others. You'll become a, a stabilizing force, not only, uh, you know, in your marriages to your children, but to your grandchildren, to those in your community so when they're feeling fearful or angry or anxious because you are doing these things to stay anchored in hope that it, it will it will justify the heavens to intervene and to heal our land. I, I believe that. Do you believe that? I do. I do. Thank you. <laughs> so we have two week break. For you to get a little jump on principles 14, 15, and 16. We are halfway through this seminar now. And um, if you missed any classes, for some reason, all these classes are recorded so you can go back and get caught up. But I hope you're keeping up with these little chapters. Once again, they're not long chapters, but the quotes are beautiful. It's straight from the source. And so um, I'll you again.
pull up that Thanksgiving proclamation, read it at the Thanksgiving table. You know, really gratitude is, I think, the best virtue we can cultivate when, when life gets hard, when things look bad in this nation, because the ability to be able um, to, you know, acknowledge your blessings will always keep you open, open to receiving inspiration from, mm -hmm. from God when you can see all that, that you've been blessed with. And